to Showgirl Sunday Dinner, the bi-weekly sparkly burlesque podcast about my experiences living, loving, and training as a showgirl from an unapologetically Black perspective. I am Torlisha Devine, the Black Gold Goddess and the creator, host, and producer of Showgirl Sunday Dinner. Thank you all so much for accepting my invitation to Dine and Dish. Now grab a plate and have a seat at the table because you're about to get served. Okay, hello folks. This is Twirl, as you know. And today we are doing something a little bit different for Showgirl Sunday Dinner. I have an amazing guest that I'll be doing an interview with. And so I'm going to go ahead and let our amazing guest introduce themselves. So I have many names, many taglines. I am known as the director of Junk in the Trunk. I am known as the Michelle Obama of Burlesque. (laughs) I am known as Seattle's own mixtress of Dirty Glam with no pucks given. And uh, my name is Mix Pucks Aplenty. Hi, Twirl. Hi. The best taglines in the business and no one can convince me otherwise. Most of them were dis- were were given to me, um, which is pretty great. Director of Junk in the Trunk actually came from uh, the first uh, burlesque troupe I was with, Booty Magic Burlesque, <laughs> um, and uh, the Michelle Obama Burlesque was given to me by a uh, Seattle performer by the name of Smokey Brown, the Slutty Clown, <laughs> and um, Mixtress was kind of just kind of thrown out there, and as I was kind of trying to figure out how I wanted my style to evolve. I just thought, oh, dirty glam sounds like a thing. Mm-hmm. And so that's how we ended up with Seattle's own mixtress of dirty glam. And no pucks given was something that was given to me pretty early on. Getting to go on stage and someone screamed out, no pucks given. And I'm like, oh, I think I'll take that. Yeah. And uh, that's been a part of my my tagline and my branding since like day one, which is great. Is Pucks Plenty your first burlesque nomer, or did you have another name before? It's my first. And oh, nice. I'm, I'm hoping it's my only. Yeah. Um, really attached to it, and mm-hmm. I like it because no one else really has anything even remotely close to it. I have a lovely list of questions and topics to go through, but before we get started, is there anything that you would like the Showgirl Sunday Dinner guests to know about you? Um, I'm still relatively new in kind of the grand scheme of things. I I went to Miss Indigo Blues Academy of Burlesque in Seattle um, about two years ago, actually. Uh, I graduated in July of uh, 2017, and I honestly thought no one's really going to want to see see what I'm doing on stage all the time. So I feel like this is going to be a cute little hobby. Mm-hmm. This will be the thing that I do, you know, once every couple of months, you know, I find an, you know, an, an open stage and go do a thing. And it has not shaped up to be just a hobby. It's, it's kind of turned into its own little beast and I'm really excited about it. And it's really cool. It's also really overwhelming <laughs> at times. And I, I sometimes I can't believe that it's only been two years. Yeah. Wow. Only two years. Only Congratulations. Because you're you. like an octopus of burlesque. You have your 
arms reaching into so many different places. And it's so wonderful to see someone like you being able to have such influence and put out such good work and then also make space for other performers uh, and, and make space for diversity, you know what I mean? So that there is more of that in burlesque. And it's, it's just nice to see someone who's so new also being a trailblazer at the same time. Um, so thank you for all of, of the work that you're doing as a performer, as a producer, and then also with your festival that's coming up with the funk. And we'll get into all of that um, as we proceed. I just wanted to kind of ask you what led you into becoming a burlesque performer? What was your inspiration? More than eight years ago, less than nine years ago is the best way to describe this. I was sitting at home I was a, was a newish baby and I was, you know, just, I still had the baby weight and, you know, postpartum depression and kind of going, kind of going through some things. And, you know, the church of Netflix was kind of <laughs> how I got through the day. And there was a uh, documentary about burlesque on Netflix. And I'm like, Oh, I should watch that. I don't know why, but I feel like I need to watch that. And, um, the documentary was really interesting. It was a, um, like a mix of like kind of some history of burlesque. And then it was talking about this thing called neo burlesque. And I'm like, what's this? This is stuff that's happening currently. And as luck should have it, they filmed a good portion of that in Seattle. Uh, and it was actually about Miss Indigo Blues Academy of Burlesque. And it was the journey of like six or seven students going through Burlesque 101 and creating an act and performing the act for their friends. And so kind of intermixed with the history of Burlesque, there was kind of this, this story and then this kind of a story about the Burlesque scene um, in Seattle. And that was the first time that I saw, you know, I saw Burlesque. I saw Indigo Blue perform in the movie, uh, Waxy Moon, The Shanghai Pearl, and I was hooked. And it took, you know, almost another, you know, six years before I actually registered to take Burlesque 101 and, and kind of actually, like, do that journey. But throughout that time, I would go to burlesque shows when my schedule would allow. And I just knew it was something that I really enjoyed. But I was always scared to make that next step. And that's kind of how my, my journey kind of got started was I saw this thing that just spoke to me and I couldn't figure out why. And you know, two years later, here I am. So you mentioned um, Indigo Blues School and that's where you did your initial studies for burlesque. Do you still take Correct. classes there? I take classes when I can. I um, took, they have uh, kind of the next step up, which is uh, Burlesque 202. Mm -hmm. And um, that's kind of where you come in and you kind of hone in on some things. A lot of people bring either bring acts that they you know already have and that they really want to take to that next level. Some people really want to learn um, like kind of a better process for creating acts, and that's what Burlesque 202 is for. And I did that uh, last October. Okay. And it's a very competitive program to get into because you. With Burlesque 101, you know, if you have the money and you apply, you know, and they have space, 
202, um, you get in based off of um, off of your application, and it's at the headmistress's um, you know discretion of who gets in. So 202 was was definitely um, definitely an experience. Yeah, I've heard beautiful things about um, about that school and and the folks that come out of it and their experiences and the performances because your graduation is a performance, correct? Correct. Yeah, I've, I've just I've heard amazing things. People have amazing transformations just going through through that. Not just as far as being a performer, but just as a human being. Um, it's it's very cathartic for for many people. So. It's yeah. amazing that you you had the opportunity to not only you know to do one one but to to do the second round as well. Um, so speaking about about that coming out of such an intense educational process, the type of art that you create is very special. Um, so can you take us through kind of what your inspiration is? What's your process like? Um, what pieces that you're performing now? are the most personal to you and kind of what has been the hardest thing for you to do as a performer getting on stage? I am politically driven and I want to make, I want to make a statement. And I know that as soon as I step on a stage, just by the fact that I am black, queer, non-binary, that I'm making a statement, but I want to take it even further and so when I initially got started, a lot of my pieces were um, very political or very sexual. I never wanted the joke to be, oh, it's because they're fat. Even in my more comedic pieces, the joke is never, it's because I'm fat. It's either highbrow or lowbrow, but it is never about my size. I don't want that to be a punchline. So a lot of, a lot of, a lot of my work is, around how to add cheekiness and some humor into very sexy pieces or very political pieces uh, without it being, oh, the jokes, they're fat. It seems like a very simple way to kind of go about the construction of acts, but like that's kind of my guiding principle. When I am creating an act, um, the first several times that I run an act, I run it at like an 11 and I'm like I want it to be the most sexiest thing ever and so I'll run it that way even if the subject matter is silly right. I run it at an 11 and then I go back and think about where are these moments where um, I can make some silly things happen and have these moments of, uh, of humor um, but everything starts at a place of let me melt everyone's faces off first with like wow, we didn't know that that kind of sexiness can happen. And then, okay, where do we dial it? Where do we dial in and refine moments of humor, moments of satire? Like mm -hmm. where, do we, where do we put those? Right. Um, one of my, my first act that I created is about racial profiling and, and discrimination. And it's to invokes for your mind. I, you know, I created that act two years ago. It still gets booked. The act has paid for itself. Awesome. And um, I count, like, I, when I talk about that act has paid for itself, have, have a spreadsheet of how much my acts cost me. And that act is the most expensive act to date that I've created because I consider Burlesque 101 part of that, that cost uh, to create that act. So that act has paid for itself and is now a profitable act. And 
that's really exciting to me. And the fact that people still want to see it is great. I think the act that I'm most well known for at this time is my Queer of Wakanda or Queer mm-hmm. of Wakanda act. <laughs> um, uh, I performed that act uh, at the uh, Buxom Blaze Burlesque Festival in Austin, Texas um, last July. And it's just the act has evolved uh, this past um Spring, I was in uh, Emerald City Comic Con, has a burlesque show that's uh, produced by Jojo Stiletto, who is known as the Professor of Nerdless, and my Wakanda act was booked for that show, and it's a very uh, it's a very competitive casting process for that show. There's lots of Nerdless acts, and Jojo uh, brings in people from all over the country uh, to perform in, in the show, as well as all of the performers that we have in Seattle. Seattle is filled with burlesque performers. So it felt like a huge honor to even be considered uh, to be in the show. And kind of one of the most amazing things was I was, you know, I was given the opportunity to upgrade the costuming for my act and, um, and given lots of encouragement to kind of grow the act. And what resulted is two nights, two shows each night of, you know, a show that gets retweeted by Will Wheaton, you know, and Phil Lamar showed up last year to the show. You're just like, if, you know, like, is this like, have I peaked? <laughs> to like, Cause that, to me, that was just like, wow, that's a, that's a big moment. Like, I don't know. Where do you go from there? I've done two pretty scary things as far as burlesque acts on stage. I have, have an act about abandonment that mm-hmm. is the lip sync and strip and it's I'm dressed in a wedding gown and it's very very emotional and it's a very difficult piece to get through you know you look into the audience and people in the audience are looking for tissues and you're like close the curtains we're you know we're done here and then another act I'm really proud of but also still kind of a scary thing to do because it's very vulnerable. I have an act called Colorism in A Minor. That act is, it punches people right in the feels. It's yeah. it's a tough act. And it that act ends with a very intentional, gut-wrenching reveal of me pulling off a, a, a long white glove and I have a patch of my skin is clearly white. Mm-hmm. that's how that act ends is this powerful moment and it's hard for people especially hard for people of color in the audience who are seeing that it is a difficult thing I think for um, our white audience members to process because it's not their lived experience yeah and so you know, it's an it's an educational moment because for a lot of them learning about what colorism is is literally happening 30 seconds before I walk out on stage because I have a very specific um, intro for this act that is, you know, and for some people, this is the very first time they're hearing about that. And it's a lot for them to process. It's a steep learning curve. And it's definitely an act I'm super proud of, but I also, it's also scary every time I go on stage because it's very vulnerable. So you're out here serving sex, political-minded fuckery to the kids with a little humor sprinkled in and a lot of, you know, gut punches. Yep. Does that pretty much cover it? (laughs) Yep. That's what I'm trying to do. 
First time I ever saw you perform live was in Savannah. And I was completely blown away by your ability to just bear your whole ass soul on stage. Like, yeah, no puffs given. It really, it, it, it's true. You know, um, there's a fearlessness in you that is fantastic to see and to watch. And, and it's, it's something to, it's something that's desirable, not only just as a viewer, but as a fellow performer, you know, how can I access that within myself? So the, and then there's just so much purpose behind what you do and so much thought. It's just fantastic to see. And it just makes me happy every time I see you posting something that you're performing somewhere. It just makes my heart smile because I'm like, more people are going to be exposed to this fantastic human being's art. So as far as performing, what for you has been like, I know you talked about the the Nerdlesque show that you had done, but what are your like moments like that where you're like, is this the mountaintop for me? Like, I feel like I might be standing on the mountaintop. And have you had any performances that you've walked out of where you've kind of felt, you know, defeated or that you, you didn't um, accomplish what you walked out on stage to do? And how did you deal with that situation? The very first time that I performed at Sunday Night Sugar Shack, I, I thought, well, that's it. Like, that's, that is the peak. Shout out to Brickhouse. <laughs> yeah, like, the Sugar Shack stage is unlike anything else and the love that you get from that audience is it's it is enough to keep you floating for weeks months you know it's Mm -hmm. amazing and I thought wow like it just can't get any better than this and I've been performing less than a year and I I got asked to do the show and then um I returned the following March so it was a year exactly a year later and did the show and I and it was my second time performing up there and it was unreal Mm -hmm. Um, because the first time I performed I I my Wakanda act was still kind of in its infancy and you know and people really loved it but to be able to bring it back a year later with all of the growth that had happened with it um, and perform it for Sugar Shack was just amazing Um, and I was able to perform a brand new act at that show and it's something that no one had ever seen from me before and just to have people come up to me afterwards and be like those were two dramatically very different pieces and like and it's all believable like right you embodied those those characters what you were doing it's it's crazy um I would also say that um when I performed at the Savannah Burlesque Festival that was kind of an unreal situation we had burlesque legends like in the audience that night you know um to perform in front of for the longest time the poster child of plus size burlesque like it's kicking it you know and and they're kicking ass dirty martini to be a plus size performer performing for dirty martini yeah and and know they're in the audience was unreal i'm just like well i don't know what i'm gonna do now after this like what do you do (laughs) and then going like to uh, an experience of like performing and feeling like I didn't really bring it or just there was kind of a, a disconnect. I've never really had an experience where I don't feel like I've put out what I need to put out. I don't think that as POCs in the burlesque community that we um, are afforded that luxury. We have to perform at a hundred percent or higher, I think, than uh, some of our counterparts. 
So I feel like I always have to, I'm always there or higher of -hmm. what I'm trying to give. I think um, what happens is like the, the feedback I get from audiences afterwards, and I've had some, some really weird interactions after performing things like, you know, I'll have a, a really skinny woman come up to me and say, well, if you can do that, I can do that. And I'm like, where's the compliment? Is that a compliment? I, it doesn't. Oh my like God, that is terrible. It's pretty gross. Or people wanting to dice, dissect the meaning and messages behind some of my more um, racially charged pieces, you know, and I'm like, my art is very personal and I'm so glad that you got something out of it. I don't want to have this particular interaction with you because I feel like I'm going to be educating you. And if I hear one more person tell me I'm so brave to get up, oh, on stage, God. I think I'm going to barf too. Ugh. Like, you know, a lot of it does, I think, comes down to the fact that I am plus size out here doing, doing the thing and people just don't know what to do with all that. It's a lot of information. And I have seen, I've been in the audience where another plus size, a plus size performer gets on stage and people start grumbling. I've seen people. I've seen people walk out while I've performed. And in my mind, what I think when I see things like that is like, nobody cares. We got your money. So you know, if you're gonna walk out because you're seeing a body that you're not into, cool. Peace out. We don't need you here, and we already got your twenty-five dollars. So thanks for playing. It's just so, so that's incredibly rude. I just, I don't know. I've yelled at people for that. I have literally walked, like, seen people walking out and, like, walked into lobbies or, you know, and, and yelled at people. Like, where are you going? Why are you Girl, The show's not over. There's someone. I, I just find it very rude when someone is actually performing. If you're going to get up and walk out during an intermission or in between because you have to go to the restroom or something of that nature, that's one thing. But when mm-hmm. someone is performing, for a person to get up while someone is performing and dis- become a distraction by walking through the aisles, walking out of a theater or, you know, a bar or especially in smaller, intimate places, it just really does something to me. And I have gotten up and walked out behind people and been like, excuse me, you don't do that. You know, you don't, somebody's up on that stage performing for you you don't just get up and walk out in the middle of their of their performance it's it's not it's rude to the performer it's rude to the rest of the audience like I don't know who you think you are but the price of admission does not give you the right to be an asshole it really doesn't it also doesn't you know it doesn't really exempt you from um, getting this cuss out because I have no problem telling you about yourself I'm so sorry that that has happened to you it's absolutely ridiculous but you're a badass and doing all kinds of things. And I know that shit is hurtful. Even when we, you know, try and like tell ourselves like these people don't matter. It still sucks when people disrespect us when we're trying yeah. to, you know, just give people a show and, and give and tell people our stories and tell people our messages, especially with work like yours. It's, it's so, it's so important. It's just like, how dare you walk out on this statement, you know, because it's not, yeah. it's not about being brave. Like this is the life that we lead. You know, I'm sharing my experience with you. The least you could do is sit down and shut the fuck up. Like, <laughs> Oh yeah. That's the least you can do and try not to like be stupid, weird and awkward afterwards. Like, like you said, it's nice when you can impact people, but again, it's not up to you to have your feelings over there, you know, 
it's like you've already done your job as the performer. You then are not contracted to sit there and, and educate people who are light years behind you or who will never understand your experience. You know, you've already done your job on stage and it's taxing. Like you said, it's hard sometimes to get out there and do those things and, and, and give those messages to people. And you do always give 100%. And then to walk off stage and be expected to give even more labor. Like, yep. it's, it's really incredible that people think that we owe them those things. The thing that I'm so impressed with with you is, it, yes, you're an, a, a fantastic performer and, and producer and all of those wonderful things, but you're also just an extremely pleasant person to be around. And Thank in the you. face of all of that shit and, and the fact that you are doing so many things, the fact that you are still so pleasant on top of all of that is just so heartwarming to me because I'm trying to be better and, I, you know, because I'm not always pleasant. <laughs> so you are always an inspiration for me because I watch the way that you handle things, you know, and you definitely let people know when they're not, you know, doing things in the way that they should be doing things. Um diversity is always an issue. You are always very mm -hmm. vocal about diversity. And when you, when you don't see it, you make sure that, you know, those things are called out. Like recently you had a, a really interesting Facebook post with some, uh, with some white crayons kind of calling out people for having real, you know, pale stale ass shows. Yeah. Um, so I know that that's kind of been a thing. I mean, that's a thing that's going on everywhere. But yeah. um, in your experience and in the way that you're handling those things, like how is that affecting you and the way that you produce and the things that you are doing and what you're seeing in Seattle? So, I mean, Seattle's hella white. It just is. Like it's a really, <laughs> really white area. Um, so when we start looking at sub you know, subcultures and sub, you know, you know, these, these smaller slices of, of community, it is going to reflect the makeup of the larger community, you know? So when we look at burlesque isn't cheap, it's, no, it's, it's an expensive, it is an expensive hobby slash career. Yes. Um, or if you're kind of in the middle where you're like, it's a hobby career thing. Um, it's not cheap. And so we start looking at, um, the economic divide. And so that's going to make, so it's really going to skew the numbers um, out here um, for POC performers and, and versus, you know, uh, white or white presenting performers. So we run into an access issue, access to, to the education, access to get tickets to go to shows. It, it is an issue. Last I heard, Seattle has more than 30 but less than 50 POC burlesque performers, which is a small, a, it's like a small big number. As someone that produces, and I put out my casting calls, and I notice that I don't have POCs in those casting calls, I start reaching out to people and be like, hey, casting call is up. Please apply. Sometimes, though, like I know before I even put that casting call out that it might be difficult and so I start, I will, I will pre-book people. So I'll reach out to POC performers and be like, here's a, a show I'm doing. Here's the, you know, if it's a theme show, do you have any, anything in the theme? And then I'll pre-book my POCs and then fill in the cast with the casting call. You know, the thing is, is that there's so many different intersections that we have to look at when we're looking at casting a show. 
we have to look at color, right? And then we have to look at body diversity. We need to look at age. We have to look at all these different things when we're doing this because there are a lot of performers that are getting passed by all the time. They're not being thought of all the time. And what ends up happening is people start to fade out. People start to, you know, I've been rejected so many times. Why should I apply? And then you look around, you're like, hey, I haven't seen so-and-so. I haven't seen them active on, you know, on their performer profile in a while. I haven't seen them at shows. I haven't seen them. And that's kind of, it's kind of bothersome. I have had um, other producers in the area message me and ask me, what can they do about the diversity in their shows? And I end up saying the same thing all the time. And it's like, before you cast your show, reach out to POC performers that you want to work with. Pitch them your idea and pay them accordingly. You know, and also, like, if you have very, very strict rules about, like, rehearsals, what can you do to be accommodating for your POC performers who are, like, maybe they have to work a whole lot and so they can't come to, you know, your mandatory rehearsals that are, like, at noon on Saturday because, you know, they got a job. They can't be there. So what, like, what are you doing to to be accommodating? Um, And it just, it comes up so much and it's heartbreaking because, the Seattle community is a really nice community. Like most communities, it still has some work to do. But for the most part, like I can reach out to most producers, you know, or they can reach out to me and ask me a question about this and it's not going to turn into, you know, a nasty thing. But it's, you know, it's it's a really interesting thing. Trying to call it out and be pleasant about calling it out. But like I don't, sometimes I really don't want to be pleasant because I'm like, this is not the first time I've said this. This is not the first time someone that looks like me has said this. Mm. How many times do we have to tell you that it's not acceptable? And it's not acceptable to turn one POC performer into your token where you're like, well, no, we have our, you know, our black performer and it's the same performer all the time because to be that one performer that's getting booked all the time. And when that realization finally dawns on you that you have been used, tokenized. <laughs> yeah. That's a horrific feeling. Yeah, man. It's not a fun feeling. It's pretty gross. And so that's just like, that's things that I think about. I know that I benefited fairly early on from tokenism. A lot of POC performers, especially a lot of dark-skinned POC performers, it takes a minute to realize that's what's happening. And so one of the things that I, I do when I'm looking for POC performers, I don't want them to feel like they're an afterthought. You know, I reach out to them first. Oof. Oh my goodness. It's messy. It is messy. So much fucking mess. Like, but I just, hearing the way you're speaking about it, you're really articulating so many of the issues so beautifully and just hitting on all the points. You said like, when you realize that you are token, it's like a South Mm -hmm. Park moment. Like, (laughs) like, wait a minute, what y'all doing? Yeah, that sucks. And then the whole idea of trying to like, when you try to fight to get other POC performers, I think that's when you really notice it. Like when you try to advocate for other performers to get booked and then mm-hmm. that kind of blows up in your face and those people don't get booked, but you keep getting booked. And then like, there were certain things that I just was like, I'm not doing that. I will never do that show again because I know, I know why that, that person booked me and they won't book anyone else that looks like me. And and the you know, they they won't or they won't book darker skin performers or they won't book you know non-binary performers or they don't book larger body perform like what is happening here 
where is the diversity? I am not the diversity. Like, I don't want to be the diversity. Mm -hmm. Like, this is crazy because I don't represent enough to be the diversity in your show. That's just, that's crazy to me. So, and when you look at places like California and you're still dealing with issues like that, when there is everything in California, you know, every show should look like the rainbow in California and it just doesn't. And then people make so many excuses about why they don't or what they don't do and and who they don't book and and all this kind of mess and talent and and acts and and the theme of the show. and, And it's all just crap. Yeah. People have blinders on and they see what they see and then they don't see anything else. But that's the thing. They say, I don't see color. And I'm like, no, you don't. <laughs> like, yeah. You don't see color. You don't I see don't. queer. You don't see non-binary. You don't. You don't see anything. That is the problem. Yes. And I understand that that was like a really like awesome thing to say like in the 60s and 70s. But now when I hear someone say that, it hurts me that you're saying something like this because I don't want to believe that you're dumb. That and that you don't me. know better. I don't want to believe that. I want to believe better of you. And that that's an affront to me. Um, we talked about you being queer. We talked about you being non-binary. What we didn't talk about is you are very active in the kink community. And I just kind of wanted to talk more about that. It's just wonderful to see people of color, non-binary people, larger, but it's just seeing people in the kink community that look like me that I vibe with because in a lot of cases and in a lot of spaces, you walk into these kind of play parties and things of that nature and you just walk right the fuck back out because it's like, uh, no, I don't see anything that remotely represents who I am as a person. It really kind of like kills the mood. Like I don't want to play anymore. (laughs) So, um, yeah, I just want to hear more about your involvement in the King community and the things that you're producing surrounding that and how, that kind of entered your your life and how you found that side of yourself and were able to embrace it openly. So I have always been kinky. I feel like I was hardwired that way. I knew that I was uh, inclined for more interesting things. I was about nine and I was watching Batman Returns and I was just like, yes, cat suit, yes. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know what's happening, but I like it. And I love this whip thing. I love how all the guys are like totally into her, but also afraid of her. Like, I love this power that she has and like, and owning her sexuality. Like, yes. Also, I'm like, I think I might like women too. So that was like a very early memory of like, this is giving me feelings. I don't understand why. And then about six years ago, I decided I need to learn more about this kink thing. Like, cause I think I like it. Like, you know, I know I like spanking, but like I needed to learn more. I need to know more. And Seattle uh, is very fortunate. They have an organization called the Center for Sex Positive Culture. Back in the day, they used to have parties almost every single night. They had meetups and like welcoming parties and things like that that didn't involve play right away. So if you wanted just to kind of talk to people, not really get super involved, you know, you had kind of these options. And the first time I went, I was extremely fortunate. I met a woman of color. And like, she basically was like my mentor. She was a volunteer there and that's what got me into volunteering. And I volunteered with that organization for about three years and helped plan parties and events and then um, kind of separated off from the organization and started kind of doing my own things. So I run a um, femdom 
monthly uh, event on some private property out in Woodenville, and we do play parties that are centered around female domination. Uh, and those yes. admire, admire them. And uh, so we do tea parties, we do play parties, we do education. So um, I've been doing that now almost two years. And then I host kinky vendor fairs. So I get all the different people in our area who who make toys and things like that. And we, um, we run out of space and the community is invited to come and purchase things. Just hosted my third summer vendor fair uh, a couple weeks ago. So I'm pretty involved, and it's interesting. I got more involved in kink, and then kink and burlesque brushed up against each other at one point, and that was kind of like the thing that was like, okay, fine, I guess I'll finally take these classes and learn how to do burlesque. So at the end of June, June 30th, I am uh, producing a uh, kink and BDSM-themed uh, BDSM burlesque show. Um, it's our second year. It's called No Closet Follies. And nice. Yeah, it's a uh, fundraiser uh, for an organization called The Gathering Northwest, which is a week-long education in, uh, and sex-positive uh, kinky camping group. And, kinky um, camping? <laughs> yeah, you, you camp. This year will be more like glamping, uh, which is great. They've, they've, kind, they've kind of upgraded um, the venue and stuff like that, so it'll be really fun. And then uh, last year I was tasked with producing a uh, burlesque show during the kinky, kinky camping event. And so they've asked me to do that again this year. So I'll be bringing um, some performers out to perform for kinky folks while they're camping. <laughs> and so that'll be really fun. I love it. But yeah, the intersection of kink and, and burlesque is pretty intense. It is interesting being like sometimes, you know, the only black person at a kink event or like one of four or five and you're like, they're going to call me your name, aren't they? Like, it's really, mm-hmm. it's, it can be an interesting feeling. And, um, you know, Seattle has, has struggled a little bit in our kink scene and like recognizing the need for uh, spaces for POCs. And actually later on this evening, <laughs> I'm actually going to uh, Brick House hosting like a quarterly all people of color uh, kink event. Um, here in Seattle now she just started that um, a couple months ago yeah and this I'm going there to uh, you know provide some education on uh, sensual domination so it's really great that like the two things that kind of get me fired up the most burlesque and kink they hold hands a lot yeah it's really nice that's amazing Um, I just yeah brick is just another Mm -hmm. goddess that I look at and and just in constant awe of Seattle has a lot of those now Knox Falls is a resident yeah um that's my burlesque mom yeah man y'all got some god y'all got some (laughs) some some powerhouses out there so in the discussion of all of the things you do you're Mm -hmm. producing you are performing you are in the kink scene you are a parent Um, and then you're also polyamorous. So you have, you know, your relationships with your partners and then just like regular ass muggle life that we all have to deal with. You're doing all of these things, but then you're also doing all of these things while dealing with borderline personality disorder. So how has that shaped and affected the way that you approach burlesque or approach the kink scene or, you know, because 
you have to be very careful with yourself and your mental health and making sure that you're giving yourself the self-care that you need and taking care of yourself in the way that you need to, you know, so that you can, you can be there to do all of these amazing things that you do. So how do you care for yourself and, and, and do the things that you need to do for yourself while also um, maintaining the things that you need to maintain for your mental health? Definitely a challenge uh, fairly early on in um, getting involved in kink. One of the kind of a hallmarks of, uh, of BPD, unfortunately, is just kind of this really throwing yourself into certain things, like mm-hmm. really throwing yourself into it, kind of putting some blinders on to kind of everything else because this is the thing that's going to keep you grounded, right? So I had really bad habits of just taking on way more than I should using that I mean like kink isn't a replacement for therapy but it's therapeutic but like all good things can be abused and um Mm. and that was just a thing where I was just really throwing on a lot of responsibility onto myself fairly early on and uh the thing with uh my uh borderline personality disorder diagnosis is fairly new Uh, I got diagnosed three years ago. Um, I was incorrectly diagnosed for a really long time. They thought that I had bipolar and those things though have some similar, have some similar qualities, you know. Yes, especially with the real investment and like being very focused on one thing and kind of Mm -hmm. going, you know, all out in one area. Yeah, but they are A lot of black and white thinking. They are. So, you know, that diagnosis is... um, relatively new in the grand scheme of things and so like you know the year leading up before I started doing burlesque like was lots of intensive therapy and really working through this I was completely blown away that I was incorrectly diagnosed but Mm. two BPD felt like like a weird death sentence to me over you know over bipolar like bipolar you know once they figure out your medications you should you're usually pretty good you know BPD is it's about the way that your brain actually works. And it is a lot of work to not fall into old patterns. And it takes a lot of energy and effort. And it's very, very exhausting. I know how many balls I can juggle. Mm-hmm. And if one extra ball gets thrown in there, I know that it, it won't take much for me just to kind of drop everything and kind of have a meltdown. So I'm really careful with myself with burlesque that, I can't take on too many balls, right? So I have to be really careful. And I'm doing a lot. And I know a lot of people are just like, I just want to make sure that you're okay and you're taking your self-care. And I'm like, I am because I understand how important that is. I understand how important it is to be mindful. And I also understand the importance of the word no. Yeah. And I think a lot of people, a lot of adults don't. And like, you know, if I can't do it, I'm, I'm, I have the strength to say no. And you know, three, four years ago, I did not have that strength. So I am vocal about uh, BPD and um, like my anxiety and things like that, because if it helps some other person out there, then that's great. You know, I've been told that I overshare a little bit and I've eased up on sharing as much as I, as I was. Who was policing your sharing? It's, you know, really, I was really going through some things uh, last year, went through a separation, a very traumatic separation, and kind of the fallout of suddenly finding myself being a single parent, having to do all the day-to-day stuff by myself with a special needs child, and also having, you know, my mental health stuff. And my mental health stuff is 
firmly rooted in abandonment. A lot of a really amazing art came out of out of those early days of, of the separation. Honestly, that's why we have What the Funk. Uh, what the Funk came less than two months after my husband walked out the door. And I had to buckle down because I had performers booked. And I got a venue booked and I have this thing. And I, I poured as much of myself into that, making sure that my performers had everything they needed so that we could make this thing happen. You know, I, I think... There is the fear, though, of being too vocal about what you're going through and then people using that as excuses and reasons to not book you for things. Okay. Uh, you know, yeah. and so there's that, that balance. And, you know, again, being being uh, a femme of color, being that vocal about what you're going through and and people deciding that even though you seem to have your shit together and you're just having a day – they may not want to take that gamble on you for their festival, you know, or, or that gig. Oof. So it's and like it's, finding, finding that balance, right? It's so important to humanize Black folks, queer folks, mm-hmm. our struggles with mental illness. It is so important to have that stuff normalized. But like you said, in a lot of cases, when we do talk about what's going on with us or we we're expressive about what's happening it's like oh you got an attitude or this and this and that and it's like no I'm just really having a bad day but we're never seen as the human beings that we are that are experiencing some shit you know we're not allowed to have that like you said like when we show up to perform we have to be 100% we're not allowed to have you know mental health issues we're not allowed to have you know bad days we're running around as like these Stepford people almost you know Mm -hmm. and you know people tell you you should be careful about what you say online because they care about you and they don't want you to have to suffer that dehumanizing thing where people look at you and second guess whether or not they should deal with you professionally exactly you know it's like it's really messed up but then at the same time it's like but you're silencing me, you know, like, and there is something cathartic and therapeutic sometimes about just rinsing that stuff out of your brain, you know, yeah. into the void of social media. It's, it's really difficult. It's a hard balance to strike, but it's true. You, you're right. You are oftentimes penalized for those things when, when you are vocal and it's just, damn, it's like, I just want to tell my truth and do my art. And be treated like a human being. Why is it so hard to, to, to have that consideration and to have that opportunity? Oof, mm, that just struck me right in the heart. But um, right. back to what the funk, because that's a huge thing. Um, you and Rebecca mm, Davis, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Are, 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 are having this incredible festival, which I'm just beyond thrilled that I got chosen to be a part of. I'm so excited. So tell us about what the funk, what is it? How did it come to be? And just, you know, just give us the meat of it. Like, what's, what is What the Funk, for those who don't what know? The, what the Funk came about fairly early when I got started in burlesque. I was really nervous about attempting classic burlesque acts. And, and I found a song I really wanted to perform to. It was Stevie Wonder's Superstitious. I'm like, I want to mm. do a classic burlesque And I was told, um, and I don't think they meant to, to, to be dismissive, but they're like, um, classic burlesque music cutoff is like 1960. 
And I'm like, okay. And so I sat there for a moment. I'm just like, it'd be really cool to have a show that was all funk music. And then I'm like, you know, it'd be really cool to have a show that was all funk music and only people of color. And I'm like, it'd be really cool if I did this United <laughs> thing. And I was just like, you know what? Fine, I'm going to do this. I reached out to Spice, a burlesque yes. in Seattle. Oh, another atomic... Yeah, oh right? God. And she's an atomic bombshell now. And actually, she'll be um, over on the East Coast for, uh, she's doing the Afro Tease cookout. Me too. So, I'm so excited. Yeah, to I know, her. right? Yeah. <laughs> I'm so excited about that. I reached out to her because she has this amazing uh, Zap and Roger funk act. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I really want you to be the headliner for this. And it just kind of grew from there. It was two nights. We had two different casts each night, um, but we had a couple different performers that performed in both shows. Spice performed in both shows. And we had a performer from Portland, uh, Delilah Cash, uh, who performed in both shows. Another uh, Portland performer, um, Honey Do LaRue, mm-hmm. did two acts. And then I was doing uh, Sunday Night Sugar Shack. I was doing, I was stage kittening. Um, in July, right before the show last year, and uh, I still had, like, the spot that needed to be filled, and it was, did you guys hear Knox Falls just moved to, to Seattle, and she's <laughs> on the show tonight, and I'm like, Knox Falls, who's this Knox Falls? She did uh, the number that she won the Oregon uh, Burlesque Festival, uh, Queen of Roses, mm-hmm. uh, act, uh, and this act is, is life, it's everything, and I saw that, I'm just like, yes, this is the missing component for the show and so she performed both nights the last night of the of these of these shows we were all sitting in the green room and I was a little tipsy and I just said it'd be great to do this as a festival and everyone's like yeah I'm like, okay. <laughs> and you know it's one of those that you know it started off as kind of a slightly tipsied promise and I really started kind of looking at it and like, what would it take? And I got really serious about it after the Savannah Burlesque Festival mm-hmm. um, and meeting, uh, meeting the two um, women running that, that mm-hmm. festival and, and just watching all of that come together. I got really serious. I'm like, okay, how, how does this work? How does this look? And I was, I was kind of prepared to go it kind of alone. You know, Knox Falls, she pulled me aside and she goes, I don't want you to do that alone. Yeah. Get a team. And I'm like, you're right. And um, Rebecca M. Davis, I ran into her at a Christmas show. And she's just like, how's what the funk going? Like, I'm really, I heard about it. I'm excited about it. And I'm like, it's going. And she's just like, hey, do you need a co-producer? And I'm like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Please. She is an absolute uh, joy to work with. So we were like, yeah, let's, how do we make that happen? What does this look like? And so uh, what the funk is the first um, all people of color bless festival to um, ever take place in the Pacific Northwest. It'll be taking place in Seattle, of course. And it was, you know, kind of going and figuring out like, where are we going to have this show at and what are we going to do? And uh, queer bar in Seattle, which is an amazing um, gay bar. Um, they are hosting our opening night gala. And then uh, nights two and three will be at the historic Columbia city theater which has um vaudeville and cabaret history mm. so you know it'll be really nice and when I was kind of looking at my my short list and long list of who would I want you know to headline who would I want to um 
you know, who would I want to feature? Uh, like, you know, because I really wanted to do like Pacific Northwest feature performers. And our headliner list um, it was very simple. It was very easy. I knew right away that I wanted Egypt Black Nile, and mm-hmm. I knew that I wanted Knox Falls, <laughs> mm-hmm. and I knew I wanted Trader Mark. Yeah. And I, knew I wanted the Luminous Pariah. And I, like, and I know I want the Luminous Pariah. And I'm like, these are like, it's really funny. My list of who I wanted, only one person was unavailable. So it's, it's been a really humbling experience. And for our Pacific Northwest performers, it felt really obvious to me about who I wanted. And so we have the Shanghai Pearl, which is mm. kind of like this weird, surreal experience because I saw this woman perform, you know, on a documentary that inspired me to do burlesque. You yeah. know, almost nine years ago. And she's going to be in a festival that I'm putting on. It's crazy. And then Isaiah Esquire out of Portland. Oh. Like I, I want to, yeah, like I want, I need, I need, need them in the show, please. Spice, of course, I wanted to bring Spice back as she was our headliner for, you know, the show last year. And like, I really want her part of this festival. And then uh, Brick House, who has been so generous and very kind. Uh, to to me especially when I first got started you know and has continued to be um, just really really sweet and and has really great feedback and gives the best hugs if you've not had a hug from Brick House I'm really sorry you've been living your life incorrectly absolutely just get just go get that (laughs) hug so you know that's our headliners and our featured performers and then I really wanted to have you know a guest of honor and I met Foxy Tan once at my very first BurlyCon. I just remember she reminded me a lot of like my aunts in like a really great way. And I'm like, yeah, this is who we, I'm like, this clearly we, we need, we need to have her involved in such an interesting process, talking to people as a producer and producing is not easy. Sometimes it really sucks. And discussing money with people is not my strongest suit, especially when someone tells you this is how much it will cost for me to do a thing. Yeah. And my first reaction is you are worth that and more, you know, and like, and I want to throw my budget out the window and really difficult to negotiate. And anyone that is thinking about getting into producing that part, I don't think ever will get easy because I want to pay people what they tell me they're worth. So, uh, but Foxy Tam will be the uh, host for opening night, and she is our guest of honor throughout the weekend. You know, hardcore pasties will be there, and that'll be great. You know, as this as this whole thing is coming together, you know, I'm getting messages from people saying so and so wants to be involved, so and so wants to be involved, and I'm like, well, I'm easy to find. So if you want to get, in, you know, if you want to be involved, let me know. And I got a message from Redbone. Wow. <laughs> and, and I was blown away because. I met Redbone um, once previous, and it was, I sent her an email saying, hey, my troop and I are doing a show, and we're wondering if Glam Jam could sponsor us. And she happened to be in Seattle um, for the Seattle Boy Less Festival in uh, 2018. Mm-hmm. And so I met her there, and she, you know, she gave me some coupons for Glam Jam, and she gave us some Glam Jam for our raffle. And, you know, so to have her reach out and just be like, this is something I want to be involved in. So she is one of our judges for the competition portion of uh, What the Funk. And she is um, going to be um, a special guest performer opening night for our gala. Um, I know. I'm just like, 
you know, and then just the response that we got from people who applied was amazing. And we have people coming from all over and it's going to be a really fun show. Our opening night show um, features performers from the very first What the Funk. I really wanted to thank them for believing yeah. in that project, you know, mm-hmm. last year. Also, they're just so freaking amazing, mm-hmm. you know, to come, come do this thing. And it's going to be a really fun weekend. Um, I am thrilled. Miss Indigo Blues Academy of Burlesque will be uh, housing all of our classes for us. We have classes Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Right now, tickets are on sale, and they are going. It's pretty great to wake up every morning and watch that all pick away and, and see how excited people are talking about it. And I've been asked, why this? The short answer is, I really like funk music. Kind of the long answer is, representation matters. And, you know, doing a burlesque show with music that is firmly rooted in African-American culture, created by us and having an all people of color cast, it's a statement and it provides a very safe place for these performers to get the love and respect and admiration they deserve. When you come to What the Funk um, as an audience member, I hope that you're coming to give your offering to these gods and goddesses on the stage who are giving you their all. You're going to see one hell of a show. It's Oh, I'm so excited. I can't even believe it. When I got my acceptance letter, I literally did cartwheels. I was like, um, this is fitting to be lit. Yeah. Just hearing you talk about it when we were all in Savannah and you were like, I'm yeah. going to do this thing. I was like, this is fitting to be lit and I am going to apply. I want to be in this. And then as it just kept developing and the headliners were being announced and the special guests and I was just like, oh my God, <laughs> this thing is like blowing up to be such a huge thing. And I don't know whether or not you realized how amazing of an idea you had like everybody is going to want to be a part of this it's an incredible creation it's an incredible idea i'm just so blown away by you and so inspired by you to have that idea like i'm so excited to go i'm so excited to be a part of it i'm so excited to like be in commune with all of these incredible performers it's, it's going to be so much fun seattle is just beautiful this yeah, time it of year. is the Seattle burlesque scene, uh, the community has really come together. They are really excited about this show, too. It's blown my mind at just at how welcoming the community has been about, about this. Seattle is not known for having uh, burlesque festivals at all. Um, we have really mm-hmm. con here, you know, yeah. and that's, you know, and that's kind of been the thing. And so it was really, I really wanted to respect the space of that. So, you know, August felt like the right time to do it. Mm-hmm. And Selfishly, I want to be around all these people. Selfishly, I want to be able to, you know, I want to spend the whole weekend going to classes, you know, that Egypt and Brick, Shanghai Pearl. And I just want to go and take all these classes and be around all these people. I'm looking forward to the after party. Like, I just like, and how that's going to look, you know, um, the community response has been amazing. Uh, Rebecca and I did an interview last week. It's going to be airing um, today. And I saw the, the, the post for that. Yeah. It's so exciting. And um, I, I, they sent me um, 
an extended clip of of my portion of the interview and I started crying. I sound like I know what I'm talking about. Like I sound proud of, of what I'm doing and it's and it's because I am. I'm really proud of this. What the funk you know, it's a niche thing. It's you know, it's specifically funk music. Uh what the funk will be um will not be a yearly festival. It will mm. be an every other year festival. That way people can keep it in the back of their mind that I need to create a funk act because in 2021, which sounds like science fiction, um, (laughs) you know, what the funk is coming back around. And I really want that title of Grandmaster Funk. And that is the title that is up for grabs. So we have a a competition and when performers applied, they had the option of, you know, opting into competing or opting out. The judges will be there both uh, Friday and Saturday night, and then we will announce the winner, you know, Saturday night. And um, like I said, the community has been so supportive. A performer by the name of Rhode Island Red became a sponsor and had all of the sashes made for our winner and our first and second runner-up. That's amazing. Um, We had those made. And then it's having a crown commissioned for us, and it is a gold and emerald green crown uh, because Seattle is known as the Emerald City. Mm. And so it's just a beautiful performer by the name of uh, Sapphire Savant. She owns uh, Savant Gems. They are donating um, to our winner, um, I think it's like 100 gross of Oh, my God. Yes. And then uh, we will be um, giving our winner a a costume commission as well. Yeah. So the winner is going to, you know, get rhinestones. They get a crown. They get a stash. There's a cash prize. You know, there's a costume commission. Like, we really wanted our winner to feel really, really important Mm -hmm. because this is huge. It's a big deal. And one of the things that we're working on right now is reaching out to other festivals. And so anyone who's running a festival who's listening to this, please reach out to us. We would like to secure a couple of uh, spots in some festivals for our Grandmaster Funk um, because it is basically a two-year title. So we want to make sure that we're giving that winner something pretty great. It's really important to me that our title means something and the person having that title feels like it means something and they are proud of it and it has value, you know, and the the whole process is definitely a little bit different than producing just one show. Yeah. It's, it's a lot of work, you know, because I can't seem to take a big long break. I went to Columbus, Ohio um, about a month or so ago and performed in the uh, Fierce Queer Performing Arts yes. Festival. Oh. My God. And that was so much fun. I've never seen Rose Whip perform before. And I watched her perform and she just melted my face clean off. Like she is like I still don't I think I have a face. Yeah, I stand for her like right? I, I can't even I think I like respond to her her Instagram story at least once a day with like yeah. open mouth heart emojis because I, I just can't. Like yeah. I don't even know. It, oof, She's oof. so great. I'm like, what, so what is even my life right now? It's so It was so great to see her perform. And, you know, they put out the call right before the festival that they were looking for, you know, the next city to do uh, Fear Sat for 2020. Mm-hmm. And I am just, I am a person that just was like, that seems like a, a cool thing. And so I submitted a proposal. And so um, Fierce 2020 will be in Seattle. 
Oh my God! And Congratulations! Yeah, and so it'll be—it's the first time that Fierce has ever been on the West Coast. It is a beloved festival by um, the queer uh, burlesque here in Seattle. Like, I mean, they—they they love Fierce, so it's really exciting that it's coming here. And so I'll be co-producing that with the Fierce Council, and so it'll be here in Seattle. Fingers crossed. We're looking at some dates, but it's looking like it's going to be in May. Uh, 2020. Oh, you are just doing all of the damn things. So many things. Uh, but one thing that I do want to talk about before we we end is um, this one thing that you're doing that I am just kind of um, standing over as well. This whole dark diamonds thing that you're doing. Um, tell ah. us about that. <laughs> so dark diamonds is the brainchild of Knox Falls. I was in a hotel room with you in Savannah, and I got a text <laughs> message from Knox saying, "Hey." When you get back, we're going to have a long conversation. And I'm like, <laughs> what? I'm like, no, just tell me now. And she's like, I'm starting an ensemble because we don't like the word troop. We like the word ensemble. And it's all POC. And I want you to be in it. And I was just like, what? I can't even take all that good information. I am already like having like my best life here in Savannah. Yeah. And so that was in December. And when I came back home, you know, she started kind of plotting what she was thinking and like what that would look like and my troop mates are freaking fantastic so Knox Falls is kind of you know is the matriarch of, of our of our ensemble we have Mia Maravella uh, mm. a Seattle-based performer and and just blowing it up she just celebrated her year um, as a performer and she performed at the Freezing Tassel uh, Burlesque Festival in Alaska as well as the um, inaugural Mobile burlesque festival and like just a phenomenal performer we have carson st Clair, who uh performed at moisture festival here in seattle which is like a big festival and she's just amazing just jaw-dropping performer we have uh sapphire savant who relocated from ohio um out here earlier in the year last year and is just amazing and like broken rhinestone the shit out of stuff and I love it and then uh, a performer by the name of Demonica Leone who um, is also a new new burlesque performer I think she's been performing like about a maybe a year and a half I met her at a um, open stage non-paid gig because I like to go and do those so I can work out the bumps on on some new acts and kind of polish some stuff up and I met her there and I was just like I don't know what you're doing but I like it yeah I think it might be burlesque. I think you yeah. need to like hear some ideas and she just kind of ran with it and she's part of our truth as well. And it is crazy how much love we've gotten, um, not just in, in Seattle, but like all over. We had our first show in May, sold out show, standing room only. Our second show is coming up on July 16th. It's called Raw, the Emerald Cut. I am so excited and like little fun fact about me I used to be a diamond broker in my muggle life for years and years and years wow. so it's really 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 fun to sit there and just be like you should call this that because this is actually a diamond term that we could use here but we all are bringing different strengths to um, different parts of like kind of the behind the scenes stuff as well as you know elevating our game as performers and really it's this I you know we're kind of going with this uh you know, gl- glamour as, as rebellion, right? You yeah. know, and um, didn't act, a new act 
for our, our show that is very challenging. It's a super classic act. I have a giant boa. There's floor work. I really wanted to challenge myself to do something different, and I wanted to do slow burn. And I wanted a, kind of a longer song. So it's to Janet Jackson's I Get Lonely, and it's the long cut of that song. So it's Ooh, almost yes. a six-minute cut. You know, and it doesn't feel like six minutes at all. And being in Dark Diamonds has definitely challenged me to be a stronger and better performer. Thank you all so much for joining me this evening. Be sure to keep up on all things Showgirl Sunday Dinner by following us on Instagram and Facebook at Showgirl Sunday Dinner or on Twitter at SG Sunday Dinner. Use the hashtags Showgirl Sunday Dinner or SGSD so that I can follow all the social media conversations happening in between meetings. Please visit www.showgirlsundaydinner.com or shoot an email to showgirlsundaydinner at gmail.com for more information on upcoming shows, questions, tips, advice requests, suggestions, booking, advertising, brand ambassadorship, and or sponsorship inquiries. Showgirl Sunday Dinner will drop every other Sunday at 8 p.m. Will be available on iTunes slash Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and Google Play. Make sure to share SGSD with all of your friends on social media and leave a like, comment, and/or a five-star review while you're listening. I hope that you are full and satisfied. Stay sparkly, beautiful people, and I look forward to glitter and dinner with all of you on the next episode of Showgirl Sunday Dinner. <laughs>